Hello and welcome to the Snug Podcast. My name is Richard Loftus and today we are coming to you from Hotel Doolin for Head School 2024. This is a not-for-profit artist-run festival for those who need to create. A place for unique collaborations and intimate encounters. The festival hosts innovators and creators performing, sharing and collaborating over three days. With live performances at night and music and literary workshops during the day. This is Head School Doolin. joined by Mark Graham, a lecturer in the Department of Arts for Southeast Technical Institute, um, also working towards a PhD in the music industry in ethics, and uh, also was 10 years in a King Kong company. So a myriad of different backgrounds. Yeah, from. and that's, I think that's only the stuff I put on the CV. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's stuff in between that too. Yeah. yeah. So you were saying to me just before we started recording that you've been coming, you, you've been aware of Hedge School for a while. Oh, for a very long time. Yeah. Uh, I came up here first, I think, to Hotel Doolin when they had the Writers Weekend. I'd written a book. Okay. And oh, yes. And I was promoting that book. It was, uh, I travelled around Ireland for a year and I went to three festivals every week for a year and I wrote a book about it. I ended up going to three festivals every week for three years, but I wrote wow. a book about it and came up here to give a talk. So that was the first time I met Donald, the first time I was in Hotel Doolin. Yeah. And then, because I played music as well, we came up here for Music Minds Festival. Okay. And um, I was running a podcast about the music industry. So I was here for Music Minds. And then Donald gave the band I was in at the time, King Kong Company, a gig yeah. at Folkfest. And then Music Minds changed into Hedge School. where I think they kind of combined the music and the literary, the side. literary side of it. And then I've been coming here regularly, I think. Probably too much. I think Simon <laughs> said to me this year, he said, again, I don't know if you can come up again. <laughs> but thankfully, they let me up again because it's a fantastic weekend. I really love coming up. And uh, where are you from yourself? Where are you based? Waterford. Waterford. Yeah, and I live in Tremor County, Waterford. So, on so the it's a bit coast. of a spin. Yeah it's, yeah, it's all right. Yeah, I mean, it's nice to come up to Doolin and have a swim up here as well and see the difference in the temperature of the water. That's yeah. what I've been doing for the last few big days. Big difference. Yeah, big difference. Yeah, yeah, it's a bit cooler. Yeah, I'd notice, yeah. I'd notice a drop in the temperature, yeah. yeah. I haven't been in now since October and I, I'm kind of scared, to be honest with you. Like, Well, it's kind of mild now. You know, Is it, Jim? Yeah, yeah, it's all right. Yeah, yeah. I think get serious around March. That's when, that's, that's when it starts to get dodgy, <laughs> yeah. And for the book, um, A Year of Festivals in Ireland... Um, what kind of festivals are we talking about? Every kind of a yeah. festival. I mean, I was stretching the limits of it at times. <laughs> like, I mean, you know, food Friends festivals, weddings. <laughs> walking festivals. I mean, there was a great walking festival up here in the Borren. Oh, okay. And around Fanor, Ballyvaughan. I was up around this part of the world a lot. And yeah. Galway a lot for yeah. festivals. But walking festivals were a big one. I mean, the matchmaking festival was an mm -hmm. obvious one to list down. Mm -hmm. And I really liked that because the matchmaking festival was kind of everything that it was the worst of ireland and the best of ireland <laughs> all in the same place at the same time and i mean it was it was an eye-opener yeah and the other i suppose around this part of the world as well things like balanus low horse festival oh yeah loved it you know yeah. loved it like, yeah a, a real uh, slice of life yeah really like, i mean and those traditions the kind of festivals that i kind of moved towards a lot were the ones that didn't seem like they were developed purely to make money yes you know that there was a bit of yeah. tradition in tradition, it and yeah. 
the reason that I did it was it was around I started doing it just after the bank crash you know when we were in that recession yeah because the message that was coming from government was we'd lost the run of ourselves it was our fault that the economy crashed that we had spent too much and I was pretty sure that we hadn't lost the run of ourselves and that there was a lot of people around the country who quite the opposite were giving freely of their time and of their energy to make the country we live in a better place and they're the people who would volunteer at these festivals all around the country and it was great to meet them and over that three years I really got a sense of the country because I ended up in different nooks and crannies places I would have never went you know and had the camper van so I was travelling around and I got a really a, a real deep connection with the country, I think, yeah. and the uh, different people. It probably would have been places. impossible, probably from a financial standpoint, to do it without the camper van. Oh, well, without I'd a say, doubt. Yeah. Yeah, 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 without a doubt. Yeah. Well, and I was kind of lucky because well, I was very lucky, but I kind of knocked on a few doors while I was doing it. I ended up writing about festivals for the Irish Times. Oh. So there's a couple of Bob coming. I was working at the same time yeah. as well, so yeah. I was doing the festivals in the evening at weekends. So. I, I, it cost me a lot of money it nearly killed me you know because, <laughs> I can imagine yeah, yeah. It, it really did because there were some festivals you have no business being at them if you're not having a pint yeah. I figured out you yeah. know because there was weeks where I'd say I'm not drinking this week because I just can't physically yeah. I, of course, I, I yeah, wouldn't yeah. be able and I, I'd be dying but then I'd be kind of going you know ah, I can't be here and not have a pint like because when you're having a pint people talk to you you know that's when you yeah. start to get a real insight that's when, when the chat happens that's like. when the chat happens like you know it is and I, there was one week um, I think Bally the Hob Trad Festival I said I'm not drinking I'm not drinking this weekend lock in Bally the Hob <laughs> and then the best of music like yeah. at the lock in do you know what I mean yeah, until yeah. about 4 or 5 in the morning like and that was class you know yeah. that what's on the programme is one thing but then all the stuff that happens around at the festivals that's yeah, kind of yeah, what yeah. brings colour and especially in Ireland you know yeah. I think that's what brings colour to a lot of them yeah. so this weekend it's um, you're participating in the panel discussion for creativity and AI is that correct? yeah and I'm playing two gigs so I was playing for The Wake was in the house band playing drums for that and playing percussion for the soundings event the poetry event tonight so I'm playing with that band as well okay on Saturday and then doing see I think that's the way Simon works this you know you, you come up for one thing he's like will, yeah. will, you, will, you, will you bring a few drums up with you and yeah. yeah you know so but that's great it's great yeah. to be involved and to do yeah. all of those things yeah it's really good um, so your background in arts and stuff like that um, it lends itself to the, dis- to, the, to the AI discussion would you find absolutely yeah, yeah I mean we're smack bang in the middle of it and especially I think the combination of arts and seeing what's happening in relation to music and my own research is it's kind of applying labour process theory to the music industry and the area of ethics and to yeah. see what's happening in that area how AI is influencing music and the music industry and the process of composing music um, and then the other my, my full time day job is education and to see the impact that AI is having on education as well especially at third level where you have students who are very literate in terms of technology and how AI works and to see to see native users of these technologies use them in very creative ways but then to realize that as a bit of a dinosaur myself I have to get creative or they'll be able to run circles around us yeah. in third level you know but it's it's a it's a very interesting time in do, you, do you see do you find it at that from a, um, an educator's point of view do you think that AI is having more of a positive negative effect is there cases of has been handed in written by chap GPT and stuff like yeah, that yeah I mean for me the jury is out a little bit Mm. Uh, it's very easy and I hear a lot of colleagues put the onus on the student and say oh it's terrible you know that they're able to do this 
but I think the onus is kind of on educators that as somebody who teaches students well if they're able to do that then that's your fault for giving them an assessment where it was possible for them to do something like that true yeah, yeah so if you're true. teaching somebody I think that we should be able to teach them in a way where we can ensure and check that they're learning in a way that we think is valuable to them yeah, yeah. so the onus isn't on the student you know we can't say to them do you know do an essay but don't use chat gpt so i you know the day of the essay is gone so you know what i would do now is give a presentation you yeah. know and let's talk about it and then talk about the thing and then keep a learning journal and document how you arrived at this talk and there's different ways to approach it but the, i think the onus is very much on educators to adapt for that and it's interesting education it can be a valuable tool in i know in my own research that I'm interv- I interview people a lot yeah. and to try to transcribe an interview you know to write out what happens in there takes a long time yeah. so I'm using an AI tool to transcribe the interviews which saves me hours, hours and hours yeah. and hours and hours you know for every interview so I'm using it but I'm using it in that positive way but at the same time you know the question is over that am I feeding an AI generative tool by using this other tool am I providing it with the information to develop something that maybe won't work in as positive a way and yeah. that's that's where this becomes really interesting I'd, and it's very easy to fall into the kind of the the hole of negativity and say oh the sky is falling in you know um, but there are positives and negatives but I, I don't think we know what they are yet I mean one very interesting thing that I've come across in terms of music in the music industry is in France and in Sweden and it's been particularly public in Sweden that criminal gangs are using AI generative tools to launder money. And how it's happening is that there's um, a tool called, there's, there's a lot of them, one is very good is one called Ava.ai, and it, it generates music. So it will, it will produce a piece of music for you if you tell it what key you want it in, what genre, um, what instruments you want in it, it will produce decent enough piece of music you yeah. know you're probably hearing them on ads and hearing them on podcasts and stuff yeah, you know yeah, yeah. where people are using them for free there's an ethical question around that but these criminal gangs are generating these pieces of music for free they're uploading them to spotify so you have a piece of music that they now own the rights to sitting on spotify and what they're doing is they're then paying a stream farm in asia with bitcoin to stream that track so a million streams might cost them somewhere in the region of three grand um, to, to pay the stream farm, like a click farm. Yeah. You know where people buy likes and people buy yeah, followers yeah, yeah. on Instagram, similar to that, yeah. but these stream farms will play your track on Spotify. So for three or four grand, they'll stream your track a million times. But if your track is streamed a million times, Spotify will then pay you 4,000 euros back. So they can launder money True. by doing this through Spotify. And the the police in Sweden have said that criminal gangs in Sweden are using it as a cash machine. Wow. That's the way they described it. Yeah, and nobody predicted that. Yeah. You know, so a lot of the stuff that's happening with AI, nobody has nobody saw that yeah. coming. And even Spotify haven't dealt with that fully yet. And my own thinking is there's a reason for that, and that's because um, some record companies, and it's been published in places, have their own stream farms that when they release an album by one of their artists in order to get their artist to the top of the algorithm playlist they'll use their own stream farm 
to boost the plays of that artist on the streaming platforms. So they're using it yeah. and they own part of Spotify. So it benefits them. So they haven't actually dealt with that yet. It's a circle. Or it's a circle. Yeah, it's interesting though. Yeah. Well, it's, I, I find it very yeah, interesting. Yeah, it's fascinating. I have, that, that never came into my thinking when you're thinking of how it affects the creative industry or the different strands that yeah. can, can reach out of it. Yeah. And, and even this, I, like Simon asked me to do a promo video for the event for this and and I saw some of the promo videos where people who were giving talks and they filmed themselves and said, oh, this is what I'll be talking about. Yeah. But I prepared a piece. I got a AI image. I animated the AI image and I recorded my own voice, but then had my own voice run through an AI model. And the for podcasts and ads and presentation, these are being used already for film because it was a female voice and it sounded so realistic like, and it's wow. and free completely free I didn't have yeah. to pay for any of that so I had a video and a voice and an ad that wasn't me that was you know and then how many people is that going to put out of work, work. is there an ethical question around? and there is you know there is and but it's kind of people on the lower end say you know session musicians and stuff like that that might be brought in to do a jingle or something for an ad yeah. they're losing out on that revenue if if AI can just generate it yeah well I mean there was already an ethical question around that because I know Fiverr I'm not sure if you're familiar with that website. Fiverr is a place where you can tender for work. Like if you wanted somebody to do a voiceover for an ad and you wanted them to do it in the style of Anthony Hopkins, let's say. Or like we go even Killian Murphy, right? Yeah. So you want somebody to sound like Killian Murphy and you put it you go to Fiverr and you type in Killian Murphy, there will be voiceover artists in other countries who can do that, who can mimic somebody's voice, mm. but some of them are in developing countries. So I could pay a voiceover artist a fraction of what I'd pay one in Ireland. And there was an ethical question around that already, and that's been happening for about a decade now. So this isn't the, the ethics around how people are employed to do this work since, you know, since we've entered a global market. They're not new ethical questions. They've been there, but now we've just taken all the humans out of it. You know? yeah. So it's interesting times. Yeah, very interesting times. Yeah, and lends to an interesting panel discussion. I think. It does, yeah, and particularly because we have somebody f who's an expert in a uh, former colleague of mine, he teaches law, Anthony O'Dwyer, so his ex area of expertise is copyright, and that's an area where there are so many questions that the, the law hasn't caught up with AI yet, yeah. and my feeling on it and what I'm going to talk to Anthony about is that the law won't catch up with it because it's moving so fast that the model that you can look at is when VHS cassette players, when video tapes and video recorders became uh, commercially available in the home and people could record television programs and the piracy of films was a huge market that it took the, it took the law 10 years to catch up with the technology in that instance. And that technology was static, you know, yeah. that videotapes when we had videotapes and video recorders, they pretty much stayed the same once they got to a certain level. But with AI, it's moving so fast that as the law tries to catch it, it moves on again, and the law moves so slowly in relation to this stuff that it, it, it mightn't catch it for a long time. And even the way these AI programs are developed and stuff, you know, they kind of unwittingly take on people's biases as well. And that can yeah. affect, you know, I think from a legal standpoint, that's a major issue. It is, and what I think is interesting is we're relying on our government and politicians to develop policy to deal with this. And I was listening to the new head of the Advisory Council on AI, and she's somebody who 
has sold a tech company that developed AI tools for education. So she, so, so she has, um, she's had a financial interest in it. And I think where it becomes very interesting and where you will see a lot of movement is the crossover of finance and AI. Where AI is making money, that's where there's going to be a lot of attention on a lot of movements. But where it has a social impact or maybe where it has an impact on the arts community in particular, maybe a, an advisory committee like that mightn't be paying it enough attention. And again, I'm not going to put, in the same way as we're talking about education, yeah. I'm not going to put the onus on them to do that. I think the onus is on the artists, that if we okay. figure out something that needs to be done in terms of how AI is influencing the arts, then we need to go to them and tell them because we can't expect them to know that yeah. themselves. So I think that maybe one of the things we can talk about in this panel discussion is that if you have a concern and if it's a real concern and there's evidence of this and it's something you want addressed, then there is a council there. There is an advisory council. You go to them. That's their job. So we have people whose job it is to deal with this. We should be talking to them. As artists, they need to hear from us. Yeah. yeah. You're kind of the agents on the ground that can kind of filter that yeah. information. and yeah. you know. And I think a very interesting one that's happening in the music industry at the moment is that record companies are already signing into contracts that not only will they have the rights to recordings when they make the recordings, they'll have the rights to the sound of the person's voice. And this is becoming really interesting wow. because if the record companies, and they have been doing it already, include in a record contract that they have the rights to your likeness, so the likeness of your voice, that means they can develop an AI model for you to sing other songs when you aren't around. And that's into the future. Or if the record company terminates your contract, they will retain the likeness of your voice so they can develop it. Like there's, there is an AI Drake at the moment and AI Drake is becoming as popular as Drake. Drake, yeah. You know, and it's generating new songs and new music that isn't Drake. And the law hasn't caught up with that fully yet and record companies realize that ai drake can be as lucrative as drake and maybe even a little bit more lucrative because they can get ai drake to do a little bit more than yeah that. jesus that's horrifying yeah in one way <laughs> it is it, it well i think one of the things that maybe isn't being talked about a lot of the the a lot of the focus is on who owns the rights and where you know where's the money being made and will we lose jobs but I think one of the things that maybe isn't being focused on is something that there was a, a composer and an engineer in the 90s. I think David Cope is his name. I'd have to check that. I'm not sure if it... Uh, um, but he developed a neural network, which was an early version of AI in the 90s. And he developed it to, for one thing, and it was to write sonatas in the style of Bach, Johann Sebastian Bach. So, and he wrote this program, and it was so good that he played a piece by Bach he played a piece by a composer who wrote in the style of Bach and he played one of the pieces that was developed by this neural network so yeah. it was an AI piece and experienced musicologists couldn't tell the difference wow. they didn't know which one was which and what he found interesting and this was in the late 90s was he developed this program he set it to work and he went off and got a sandwich and a cup of tea and he came back and it had written 2000 sonatas so 2,000 box sonatas in the time it took him to make a sandwich and a cup of tea. And I think he ended up with 60,000 sonatas. And then he said to himself, sure, I'm never going to be able to listen to them. <laughs> like, if I sat down now, right, <laughs> I would, like, and listened to them back to back, it would take me 
I don't know, 10 years yeah, to listen yeah. to him. So what he realised, and this was in the 90s, was one of the concerns about AI-generated content, and in the arts in particular, is quantity. It's not quality, it's quantity. Because quality was always a concern because, you know, some musicians are shy. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but, I, I mean, that's subjective. <laughs> yes, like, you yes, know, yes. But yes. we don't all like some music, yes. but we can't stop people releasing something that's bad. You never could. Yeah. But when it comes to this, it's not so much about quality, it's about quantity. And he realized that very quickly because what he did with that program is he just switched it off. He, he said he turned off the computer and he put it in the corner and he never did it again because he had enough sonatas. Yeah, yeah. Like he had more than <laughs> I'm enough. Good, thanks. Yeah. And what's happening now is that we're in a situation where the most recent estimate is that there's 120,000 songs being released every day. Wow. So 120,000 songs every day. And quite a proportion of that at the moment is AI generated music. And of that 120,000 songs, let's say a la a, it's not it's 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 not the majority, but it's a large proportion of that. And a, a proportion of that, again, is fraudulent music. It's music that's being released by bad actors, let's say. Yeah. And some of them could be these criminal gangs. Some of them is just noise that's being released for different purposes. Um, so 120,000 tracks a day. And the statistic that I found that blew my mind a little bit was that in the last three years, there's been more music released than in the 100-year period before that. Wow. So since the birth of the recorded music industry, in that 100-year period, there was a certain amount of music released, but in the last three years, there has been more music than that released. And one of the, one of the upshots of that is that if you release a piece of music today, how do you get people to hear it? especially in that deluge of music how do people find your song and that's becoming really difficult and it's it, it's a concern of the record companies the record companies are hitting back at ai and one of the reasons is they're seeing their market share go down because people just can't find the songs yeah. they can't find them you know so the, what's the pathway now you get on a playlist or you try to get on a soundtrack for a popular tv show that's kind of the it's tough because i mean that's you know music record labels have more contacts for that so you know if you ask a band they'll still want to get signed I imagine most of them will but yeah. I mean I suppose and one of the things I'm going to talk about at this talk tomorrow is for every artist no matter what your medium is music literature visual art what do you want to do with it and I think that's a really important question what what, what is your art form for for you you know what is music for and if you if you want to be the next Ed Sheeran well then you have to follow a certain path yeah but if your art and I know a lot of people there's somebody who I know really well a musician friend of mine who's quite well known and in an Irish context and he was recording an album and he said to me he didn't want to release it and I was going that's really interesting what you're like why he said because at the moment it feels like it's for me you know that this is what I do this is how I express myself this is therapy for me and he said but as soon as I release it then I have to start going on Instagram I have to start going yeah, on yeah. Facebook and I have to start promoting it and he said and I hate that I'm a musician but it forces me to be a PR person for a long period of time and I really don't respond well and I understand that yeah. so it so the question that you ask yourself is what's your art for and then once you know what your art is for for you and what you want to do with it then your approach becomes clearer and maybe AI doesn't have as much of an impact on you then, depending on what you want to do. That there, 
there's some people who are quite niche in what they do and I'll give you a really good example um, there's a guy from Cork called Miracle of Sound he's a musician and he's probably the most successful independent Irish musician there is in the country at the moment but nobody knows who he is his name is Gavin Dunn he works out of his spare room in his apartment in Cork and what he decided to do was he was in a heavy metal band heavy metal band broke up and he had a room full of guitars and his own home studio and he said what am I going to do now and he used to play a lot of video games so he recorded footage of him playing his favourite game and he put a soundtrack to that and he got up in the morning there was about 40,000 views and he went whoa wow. yeah and I mean that's more than some of his songs were getting <laughs> yeah, like yeah. when he was in the band <laughs> so he started doing it more and more and he released one there a couple of years ago uh something about the call of Valhalla or something like that it's called 70 million streams on YouTube and he has 1.5 million streams per month on Spotify which equates to about it's about 5 grand a month just from Spotify so then he has his YouTube income as well big numbers and that's his income that's what he does as his job now so Gavin will be able to do that I think despite what AI does because Gavin has established himself in a very niche way without a record company, without any structure, just as a solo artist from his spare room. And it's interesting to see that somebody can do that. You know, I, I find that very interesting. But none of us know what's going to happen, yeah. I don't think. We're at the start of a new frontier. We are, yeah. Which is exciting. And maybe maybe nothing will happen. Because I, I mean... I'm old enough to remember the Y2K bug, you know, when the millennium was yeah. coming and planes oh, were going to fall, planes were going to fall out of the sky, and you know it was going to be terrible. And so it was fine. Yeah, <laughs> it was fine. Yeah, and for for me, and this is personally, this isn't for everybody. For me, and it took me a while to figure out. You know, I like playing music, but I think what I like most about playing music is playing with friends and having fun. You know, and the live experience the, 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 I would not say just that I would say the communal experience because sometimes it doesn't even have to be live like here this this weekend we were rehearsing I'm here since Wednesday and we're rehearsing okay. and some of those rehearsals were just great fun and to be in a room with nice people playing music and having fun yeah. that's what that's what I like doing you know yeah. and I for me I don't think AI is going to have an impact on me in that if I want to release something and want to make money from it then it'll have an impact but that's not something I want to do at the moment so yeah, you know, it it if you know what you want to achieve from what it is that you're doing, I think then you can kind of weigh up. Well, how much is this going to impact what I do? You know, but then <laughs> the the flip side is that's that's a very selfish way to to look <laughs> at it. You know, because maybe we should be asking, well, this is what I want to do, but if it influences somebody who wants to do something else, well, then maybe we should fight their corner for them as well. If we're in a position to fight their corner for them, yeah, yeah. Does that make sense? It does make sense. Yeah. Mark, thanks so much for joining My us. My pleasure. Yeah. Enjoy the rest of the weekend. Yeah, you too. Yeah. And now we're joined by Gary Kyo from Roller Coaster Records down in Kilkenny. Thanks for joining us, Gary. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. So it's a bit of a spin-up from Kilkenny. How did you get involved with uh, HQ? Uh, well... Essentially through Noah and Simon, mm. and um, so I've, uh, so the shop would be involved in some of the f- festivals in Kilkenny, and like over the over the years, Simon would have been playing with uh, Miles O'Reilly, yeah, 
you know, we have mutual friends, and uh, so this is, I think this is our second year here. Okay, okay. So just, uh, yeah, it's a nice invite to get in Jan the end of January. It's a beautiful yeah. place to be. Exactly, so. exactly. Whereabouts in uh, Kilkenny City is it's actually? just off the High Street, uh, Kieran Street. So okay. it's, you know, it's kind of like the second street in Kilkenny. So it's yeah. Uh, yeah it's My mother's from Kilkenny. She's oh, we're down there a good bit. Like yeah, it's gorgeous. Yeah. It's such a gorgeous place to be honest yeah, with you. It's, it's good. You know, it's a very good arts town. You know, a lot yeah, a lot of. I mean, obviously, with the, fe the there's like the Roots Festival and the Kilkenny Arts Festival, and so there's a lot of theatre and a lot of music and visual art, of course. So yeah, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a good it's a good spot. Yeah, yeah I seen Neil Young down there a few years ago. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah that was great. Yeah, spectacular. Yeah. <laughs> that was, uh, yeah, that was fantastic. Well, Dylan as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Someone say it was kind of more Dylan was nearly in a support capacity for Neil, but you disagree. You disagree. Not for me. Not, not for, for me. you. Not for me. Uh, so where did the um, the record label come about then from um, from the shop? Is well it, the, is the, it the same name? The yeah, yeah, it's Rollercoaster Records. Um, so the label's the brainchild of the late Willie Meehan, who ran the shop for you know twenty five years. Yeah, and uh, we're just trying to continue it on for you know in it, a legacy for him. Um, like this year, we've got a couple. Of, we've got a we've got a ambient pedal steel. Um, record coming out of O'Carrollin tunes by a guy from Cork called David Murphy. Okay. Pedal steel, great pedal steel player, and some great players on strings by Peter Broderick. Um, uh, oh, there's loads of people on it. Steve Wickham's on it, but yeah. it's, it's a beautiful piece of music. So that will there'll be some announcement about presenting that live fairly shortly. But uh, and then we've got another record by a band called The Breeze. Uh, that's coming out again late April, and that's. Um, one of the people in that is a guy called Stevie Scullion, who's an ex Malosian. So uh, yeah, so that's an interesting record as well. Yeah, very it different. It's it's mainly kind of ambient stuff that you're. No, no, no. We do all kinds of things. We yeah. uh, we've been involved with a an artist called Arborist from uh, Northern Ireland, um, from Belfast area. He just won the Northern Ireland album of the year for. Oh wow! In in December. Yeah. A record we were involved with last year. So uh, yeah, so you know. They're small scale releases. We don't have any expectations, and we don't, you know, it's just, it's just trying to get the artist to the next level. And yeah. So and you, you find Kilkenny is a, a good um, location then for like bringing artists in and stuff like that. Yeah, I think we've done that with people like Mark. Uh, sorry, Arborist hmm. over the last six years. You know, we f we fill out venues in Kilkenny now. And, um, and Waterford actually and so yeah it's yeah it's a, a it helps anyway and you know we're kind of when we get pa when we're passionate about stuff we proletize about it you know so we're you know, we sell a lot of records in the shop by just talking to people and playing them and yeah so and then they come to the shows and hopefully you know those artists will leave us and go on to better things that's yeah. really the and how long has the store been uh, running um, in since 1990 I think wow yeah so it's been there it's a it's yeah it's yeah. a long running shop at this point you've stayed yeah. the course yeah yeah true and it's I mean there's been some rough times yeah obviously there's, uh, yeah we're it still there just about <laughs> yeah because like you know the, you see the big uh, behemoths like HMV have yeah, gone to yeah, the wayside yeah, and yeah. stuff but like little independent places yeah I can think I'd work with, you know those they, those you know independent shops have a, a, a quite a, a niche um 
you know, we're, there, there's a lot of people who will just will come to us rather than going to you know the online they'll stuff. Seek, they'll seek you out nearly yeah, really. Yeah, you know, there's a bit of a loyalty as well. So. Yeah, and uh, you know, we'll we'll really try to go that extra mile for people as well. Yeah. Which, uh, and there has been like a resurgence in vinyl, say, in the last five years or so, hasn't well, it? Even longer, I would, I would, longer I than would that, say. Yeah. Um, I think that may have peaked now. Because well, costs have gone up, and so that's a, that's problematic for us. Yeah. Um, and the majors kind of have tend to hog the pressing plants, so it's harder for little labels like us or yeah or you know independent labels that we would favor over it over the kind of the bigger yeah, things. yeah. Uh, it's hard to get it to the marketplace yeah. now. is there a place to press records in, in ireland or yeah there's dublin vinyl which is great yeah they're very busy um and uh i mean we yeah dublin vinyl are doing great things um but yeah there's room for more you know yeah it's an um, expensive business, I'd imagine. Yeah, I can so. imagine, yeah. Um, and then from your own background, was like music always your passion? Yeah. Uh, all the usual, you know, being in bad bands. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, finally realising that it was no good. And so, uh, yeah, but it's... Uh, my route to roller coasters is as a customer and getting roped in by Willie and... Yeah. To do gigs and do sound and so that's yeah it's just it's just completely accidental. So. Well, thanks so much for joining us, guys. Really appreciate it. Very much. Enjoy Thank the rest you. of your weekend. I will indeed. That's Thank roller coaster you. records down in Kilkenny. So um, we're now joined by uh, Branwen, a uh, musician, composer, performance artist and puppeteer from the <laughs> West of Ireland. Is that correct to yeah, say yeah. they are all things are correct? Yeah. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Um, so from the West of Ireland, whereabouts are you from originally? Or? I'm from Lynch. Oh, Lynch. Okay, yeah, so yeah. not too far away not from here. Not too far here. down the road, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So y were you aware of Hedge School before you were asked to come up here? Is this your first year here? Um, I have been at all of them actually okay. yeah, yeah. Um, for as long as it's been head school but I believe it was th uh, it's a combination of the music minds and the writers week kind of joined together yeah. into a great festival <laughs> 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 yeah um, so yeah I've been invited to do different things at all of the head schools which has been really wonderful and it's such a great time of year because um, it's quiet and um, and they invite so many different people of different yeah. disciplines, which just makes it really exciting because there's kind of collaborations that happen across the board that wouldn't otherwise happen, yeah, you know? Yeah. And really interesting workshops. And um, yeah, I think it's just a fantastic thing to do. And I think more festivals should be more like collaborative, creative experiences, you know? Um, yeah. Instead of my bland plays now, and then we will play then afterwards, and people never really see them kind of come together and make something a bit different. A hundred percent, and I think like we have such a culture of passive consumption, um, with like social media and kind of an expectation to sort of almost eat culture as opposed to participate in it. Do you know what I mean? So I think this is a really lovely kind of antithesis to that where they're like it's like oh everyone's kind of involved in some way or can be involved or yeah. it's more workshop based in the daytime and then 
you kind of know people who are on the stage and it's small enough that it's everyone kind of gets to know each other and it's people like Donald McConnell kind of going around tying people together with different improv games and yeah yeah um so I think there's it just creates a different um kind of ecosystem or whatever among people which I think is so lovely it's like an alternative way to enjoy your weekend and your time and yeah. people and meet people properly like and have a bit of crack with them and stuff so I think it's brilliant set up like yeah. really great and you just from talking to other people they've been here f for a few days just f between rehearsals and stuff like that so have you been here f since thursday or friday or i got here wednesday night yeah and then there was a rehearsal on thursday and a rehearsal on friday yeah, yeah. well two rehearsals on thursday for two different things and then one on so friday um we mentioned a, a few of your career paths i suppose i'm not sure how you would describe it but um what would people know you best for for your for your music yeah um i'd say i've been involved in a few projects over the years i mm. uh, started out with one called twin headed wolf which was a project with my twin sister um and we were always kind of quite theatrical and i was studying sculpture at the time so i was like making all these weird instruments and stuff that we bring on stage and we had like yeah it's kind of like a lot of different things so it's kind of like pushing <sighs> the edges of things so like it doesn't necessarily have to be music and I like the idea of kind of um, doing other things that aren't just standing on a stage playing songs yeah. that kind of maybe um, bring people into their own imaginations or their own kind of uh, sense of wonder so I'm really into like Dada which is kind of um, a response to World War One. Uh, okay. it's kind of pre-surrealism so it's like um, a movement that was kind of like if an attitude of not questioning authority has brought us to a place where something like World War One can happen, where it's just so atrocious and so awful. Um, then we need to figure out a way, and these are my words, but like <laughs> um, hand people's autonomy back to themselves by kind of creating something like the element of surprise or um, creating something so kind of absurd and ridiculous that it kind of shocks people awake into into remembering that they are a creator as well and they can actually have way more agency I suppose um, in how the world plays out and do you know what I mean if we just keep handing our um, responsibility if we keep handing responsibility to these sort of leaders who actually don't have our best interests like that's kind of the idea so it's kind of like a way to bring wonder back into people's lives and maybe the element of surprise and and kind of shock people into realizing that they can do a lot more than they think they can do you know what i mean okay. and you can use the stage uh in totally different ways that you wouldn't like just break it open a bit more and see like there's a lot more to it um and i suppose maybe coming from different artistic backgrounds i kind of want to tie them all together on the stage in new ways all the time so yeah that's kind of my yeah i don't know if that makes sense yeah. <laughs> but so that <laughs> kind of, of really class, lends itself very very well to this festival then oh if yeah it's all totally. about that kind yeah, of yeah 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 cooperation and collaboration yeah. and stuff because i don't i also i don't really agree with them um, <laughs> getting all political <laughs> but, uh i just don't do you know where sometimes you have like groups or something and it's like um oh there are these special people who can do the special thing that we're like just kind of presenting really um kind of like really polished work which is perfect and there's a place for that but i think there's something about the reason you're on stage is kind of like to be a human and kind of reflect people's humanness back to them so they feel more like at ease? huh at ease 
at ease and connected i suppose because sometimes it's really hard to connect to something that's so polished and clean and yeah. completely untouchable and you're, you kind of go away kind of half in awe and half feeling bad about yourself <laughs> you know what i mean like which is great it's i mean it's great when people really push themselves to the best they can do but also there's something about reaching out and showing a bit of humanity i suppose in, yeah. in performance as well i don't know i think because i think a lot of people like think oh i can't sing because they're singers or i can't make art because there's artists and like actually that's so not true like people everyone's an artist and you know just do you know what i mean I, like i really believe that yeah you just kind of have to find your niche or whatever or just find your sense of play find your sense of play and curiosity and wonder and follow it and see where it takes you do you know what i mean yeah and what what makes you come alive like that's the thing you want people to come alive you don't want people to kind of you know go numb or just kind of like zombify do you know what i mean mm. like you want to people to feel engaged and like they're like in it do you know like that's the kind of um so to answer your question <laughs> would people know me best for music <laughs> probably but also probably like being a bit of a quite experimental within that okay. and i do a solo project and i i did a three-part harmony project called rupus nectar uh which is limited for a few um for a few years and then uh do stuff with folklore like kind of interpreting archive material and i get commissions for songwriting and i oh, do wow. singing workshops and um weird workshops and doing a seance <laughs> yeah the seance workshop um, so tell me a bit more about that that's a surreal seance <laughs> again that's kind of well if this isn't going out before the seance <laughs> but it's actually secretly um i mean it's not actually a seance but it uh, okay i'm gonna get philosophical on this again it's um kind of a way to trick people into realizing they can write songs and okay. they can make up melodies and they can uh be playful and silly and it's a framework to do that um and the idea is basically people come in and we kind of like have the the trappings of a seance um and then i sort of try and change their perspective through games and stuff and like the way that like i like to consider art is that if you remove it's like if you imagine like you know a salt and pepper shaker mm -hmm. and they're two objects mm -hmm. and so people are like kind of see themselves as objects do you know what i mean uh just for the purposes of this um analogy <laughs> sorry <laughs> salt and pepper shaker like when they think like you know the pepper is a singer it's only thinking about it's its objecthood as a singer and it doesn't think about itself in uh, with the space between it and something else do you know what i mean mm -hmm. and like to some extent or a songwriter it's basically if you remove the objectness of yourself and concentrate on the negative space between things with people with spaces with trees and stuff it's kind of like the ether space or whatever you want to call it like that's where art happens and it's like this sort of like in between space do you know what i mean it's not and if you the more you remove yourself from it the better your work is do you know what i mean mm -hmm. i really find and the more yeah. you focus on the kind of tensions or harmonies or whatever between yourself and other things and i think the idea of a seance is really helpful for that because it's like um the idea is to kind of like be channeling spirits and be focusing outside yourself so it's like it's a really sneaky way to make people <laughs> feel like really creative <laughs> so it's do you know and yeah i think there's a lot more I think people get really lost in like just being like looking up their own arses not in a bad way but like you know you could lock yourself away in a quiet house on a hill uh and be like i'm gonna make art but there's only so long you can look up your own arse <laughs> do you know what i mean like before, and like it's not gonna be great you have to focus on 
the in-between space and what you're giving and what you're receiving that space if it's called grace or if it's called ether or if it's called whatever it is it's yeah. like so that's kind of what i i think that is the biggest block for people's creativity actually so so it's kind of like a um, kind of a, a tool to not take yourself too seriously in some ways 100 percent. and also there's like there's no there's no issue with taking yourself too seriously either but there's a different hat for that i think the initial creative impulse should be allowed to be playful and silly and there's no right or wrong and there's no good or bad it yeah. just is what it is and then you can put on your editor hat and go like okay what did i like about that what can i do with this you know okay great there we go and then you can put on your refiner polisher hat and be like okay we like this i want to do it like this you know and then you can put on your philosopher hat and go like i want to present it like this or you know there's loads yeah, of different yeah. hats but like the initial hat there should be absolutely no editors allowed in the room no nothing else except for just playfulness do you know what i mean and yeah. i think it's hard for people to forgive themselves for being silly or playful but to get them to that place is like golden because they will come out with gorgeous stuff do you know yeah. so that's the idea yeah. well like you've mentioned play so much it seems like you really enjoy the, these different elements that you're working with like you don't come across as like a tortured artist or anything oh i'm plenty of that as well there's no there's <laughs> no denying hat. that that's, that's a different, different hat. hat yeah that's <laughs> i've done plenty of lying on floors with my hand nailed to my forehead <laughs> you know what i mean it's not <laughs> as we all do actually probably everyone's done that stayed in the bath too long do you know? <laughs> <laughs> stay here and cry yeah, totally. Yeah. But um, so I know, along with the seance, you're also collaborating kind of with a, a larger group. Then you were you with the the wake and with Dahi and stuff like that as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that must be incredibly enjoyable as well, though. It's so interesting because, like, I actually don't know anywhere else where like people from totally different creative backgrounds are kind of thrown together. Um. With intention, obviously. Yeah. Um, to create something like we just got to, we did a wake story like with rappers and ill and pipers and harpers and saxophones and slide and pedal steel and synths and pianos and drums and uh, it's like and singing and fucking unreal like <laughs> and like and then like limerick rappers I was like and a coffin coming out of the back of the room and like I did. Do you know, it's so healthy to be totally like, I don't know anything about this. Like, this is brilliant. Do you yeah. know what I mean? And I love rap now. I'm just like, wow, I fucking love this. <laughs> like this, it's such a different way of performing and it's such a different way of bringing your energy to the stage. And it's a totally different like rhythmic universe. And do you know, it's really amazing. Um, yeah, I was really blown away by it actually. And like, I suppose there's things I, I, um, I feel like actually if we had more time we could have kind of really gone into it but we didn't have a whole lot of time so we did our absolute best with the time we had yeah. do you know what I mean and that's brilliant um, but it's it kind of does it just but it also maybe it leaves a question of like oh could this be developed later do you know what I mean and yeah like, of course it's a really like also Claire people are so warm and gorgeous and lovely and like they're the perfect audience I actually don't think you can get a better audience in the world than Claire people I thought you were like, going to be self-deprecating because you know usually people when they're talking about where they're from themselves they're like oh god they're so painful but you're I love Claire yeah. I actually I mean, it's really like a blessing and a curse to be to have grown up here because you go into the rest of the world expecting everyone to be really nice and really <laughs> like encouraging and like full of crack and laughter and you're just like oh but I don't <laughs> 
with everyone you know it's hard not to come back here like yeah. but i think honestly for that kind of thing it's great it's the best audience you could ask for to yes. kind of present something new and kind of yeah do you know i think it's brilliant for that yeah and um, yeah well thank you so much for joining yeah, us yeah yeah cool So we're now joined by uh, Margaret O'Connor, um, DJ, accessory designer, um, milliner, um, DJ. The list is endless. Is that correct? <laughs> yes. Thanks. How are you? How are you? Thanks Not for having me on your podcast. You're more than welcome. Um, I know we spoke briefly um, before we started doing this that um, you've been here multiple times. Is that correct? This is my third year. Third year. Oh yeah. Wow. So the first time I came and I had loads of my hats on display because I do a lot of avant-garde, crazy, hot couture stuff. Okay. So they had a Mad Hatter's tea party and then oh, they had my okay. stuff that was on display. And then I did a DJ set on the last night um, for, I think it was like two hour set. Nice. I played like some Italian disco and punk and reggae. I'm quite eclectic taste of tunes. Mm -hmm. Um, more left of field <laughs> so yeah they had me in kindly asked me to do have the crack yeah, yeah. on the last night it was so much fun and then they asked me back the next time and then they've asked me again <laughs> so I actually bumped into Donal I did another love story oh, and okay. I had it was called the House of O'Connor Takeover so I had like about I had a House of O'Connor team so I had 11 people all in my jackets and all nice. in these crazy headgear like out outrageously sized and <laughs> w like modern take on the mummers and very weird stuff that I would normally use for music videos yeah. and stuff like that and then I had a fashion film on the back and I had my DJ set and Owen was like you have to come back and I was <laughs> like okay I'll come back <laughs> he actually was like uh, he had uh, this apple and he was like Margaret will you take a bite out of the apple? And I just got the apple and I took the bite. And he was like, that's why we're friends. Because <laughs> like everyone else was like asking what was in the apple. And I just was like, you just took the bite. <laughs> and then he was like, you have to come back and do a DJ set. Because he was, they were really, they all came to support me and see Don't the set me. that I did there. Yeah, so I'm going to like um, play some tunes. I went to a workshop today. I saw the glass blowing. And there's another Where one. Where is it on from it's here, just, actually? Just across the road there, outside the... There's like the... the B, it's like a and b the, the guest rooms. Yeah. And it's in the back there. Okay, and she's currently making like... Um, it's kind of similar to millinery, actually, because the, the way she's rolling the glass is mm. like when you roll cinema for hats at the edge of the hats. So I could feel like some of the skills, I could see that they were similar yeah. to how I work. But yeah, it was amazing. She's making a big sculpture piece of ancient ferns, green ones. Oh, wow. So she's starting it and she, at the end of the week or weekend, she, it'll be like a sculpture piece. Yeah. So she's just telling us all its bits and pieces. You can go in and come back and, you know, potter in and see, yeah, and see and how, it's, it's, how it's processing. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. then I'm going to do a workshop tomorrow and I'm going to make a little pendant. Oh. And her, she's really nice. Yeah. So I was delighted with that. And yeah, it's last year I made a like um, a synthesizer and it's really diverse uh, when it comes to different workshops and every year is quite different. Yeah. And I think it's quite stimulating like for growth, you know, it's like 
it's make it's a place where people can maybe fail or succeed and normally when people are pushed to the point they don't fail they normally really excel mm. but i like that i suppose the um, when people are starting off like the difference from willsies from this first year to the third year yeah like the wake yesterday was outstanding i that heard whole team yeah together <laughs> it was like magical ashling's lines with, with the harp and annie malarkey and like the two rappers and there was like the pagans versus the catholics and then wow. wilsey was like no i'm a traveler i'm not going to either side <laughs> and like i'm not a massive rap fan i'm more into older rap from the 90s yeah but i really really loved it and i really enjoyed it and i love it when a people or artists change me or change my or question my my opinions yeah yeah and I'm like, oh maybe actually that's really cool mm. and it was really really cool and at the end everyone was dancing but yeah i quite like the hedge school because it's more relaxed yeah you know you're staying in the hotel you're getting well fed you know you're kind of <laughs> minded yeah yeah it's like you're being minded by your mammy <laughs> you know it's like here come here now we'll feed you we'll mind you and it's a safe place i think and you don't often go to festivals where it's that kind of, I don't know, it's more like a relaxed yeah. energy. It's like going home kind of, isn't it? Like, you know, yeah. just welcomed in and then yeah. here you go, love. And and it's your back again, yeah. you know, <laughs> and like even the like the sound and the lighting people like, hey, how are you? You haven't seen you since last year, but it's kind of like a little Christmas, but in January, Yeah, you know, True. for the arty creative people who... Yeah want to dive into all these different things like i remember little johnny uh, i saw him in the first year and i'd never seen his work before he's like a spoken word okay and he just like blew my socks off and it's so it is a really good scope for people that you haven't ever seen before yeah you know i i, I know um for your own kind of millinery and stuff like that you're based in dame street in dublin but I by the accent you're you're not a dub so where are you from originally i'm from boston tuber um, so oh no way <laughs> I'm from like <laughs> just out the road from me then yeah. where are you based I'm living in what's called just outside Kinvar at the minute oh but really yeah, yeah. I'm I'm going to be moving to Kinvar oh are you yeah 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 what's gas um, we're in outside Kinvar uh, do you know Mount Scribe near Nagra yeah you know you're going to be my there? neighbour oh yeah <laughs> that's gas so you're originally from the Tubber side of Clare say so I'm from Boston Tubber do you know where Mullockmore is I'm just up the road there. Oh, I'm near wow. the church. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, I'm from the sticks. I'm from a really straight-laced Catholic family. Oh wow! And uh, no PVC back then. No, <laughs> no. Um, but you what the, the there's the polythene for the bales. <laughs> That's about the height of it. I couldn't even wrap myself in polythene. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I suppose it's mad coming home to my family because like they're like and she's off to Doolin again yeah, what is she doing now what is she doing with her head but um, yeah like nobody else is really creative in my family I don't know how it happened but maybe the lack of yeah ex the lack of like art and culture and music in that way probably led me to find it yeah and my brothers and my brother was really into music and he really got me into music and then i always like my uncle jerry gave me this like he's a he makes stained glass and i remember being over at his house and he gave me this tape cassette and it had like new order 
and I was gone then and yeah, I was like yeah. 13 or 14 and then all my friends were like what are you listening to you're so weird and then I kind of got addicted to music and then I used to like be waking up at night and doing all these weird drawings and my mother and father would be like what is she at now like just a weird kind of eccentric child yeah, yeah. who would be making things so I ended up going to art college although my teacher told me I wasn't good enough <laughs> and not to go and I went anyways and I became well I didn't know what I wanted to do actually I was so minded at home I got a bit yeah. of a shock <laughs> when I went out into the real world and was probably good for me yeah because I was so maybe sheltered and then I went wild and then that's and life happened yeah and you know the ups and the downs of life makes you become a better artist and I probably conceptually would have taken inspiration from the good and the bad and all of them things so I went to GMIT and oh, I to studied into Clamwera yeah, yeah. yeah yeah and I didn't do my last year but they don't tell anyone that <laughs> I didn't fin- I went there myself and did I didn't you finish go? as well I you didn't, didn't, fin- finish. didn't finish oh when, when did you go Jesus when did I go <laughs> about 14 years ago really probably. what age are you I'm 36 okay we might have been in the same maybe I'm 37 what what um what modular what, I did what? sculpture and, and, and then I changed the paint and then they were like your textiles go away yeah yeah <laughs> go away and then I was like but I want to be in sculpture because they're the crack yeah. but like what did you do I did film and TV oh amazing yeah I made it to second year but then my daughter was born and I was like nah well don't really have time for college anymore so oh shit yeah so but that's good though yeah it is great. that's something special yeah, yeah at least you have something to remind yourself yeah, from yeah, your college yeah, yeah. days that's, what, that's why I didn't finish college what's your daughter's name Lily Lily oh yeah. beautiful name she's uh, in uh, Italy at the moment on our school holiday oh lovely did what age is she she's uh 14 on Saturday. Oh, gorgeous. Did you go to school in Gort? I did. Yes. Yes. So did you go where, where did you go to school? I went to school in Casabar. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So you that's mad. We are come from similar. That's wild, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. I'm surprised we didn't bump it. We probably saw each other. Probably, yeah. Yeah. At some stage. Because yeah. we would have been in the same it would have been around the same time. Yeah, my my wife now, she's 36. And she went to Gort. What's her name? Chloe Walsh. Chloe Walsh. If I saw a picture of her, I'm sure I'd know. Yeah, yeah. That's gas. Yeah. Oh, I must know her. Yeah, you probably do, yeah. She's probably, like, I'm 37, so she must have been in a year younger than me. Just a year below, yeah. Yeah. Who would have been in your year now? We're going off topic here. All <laughs> Christian Cody, I think, is older. Christian Cody's my friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go. That's gas. Yeah, yeah. Christian's a sweetheart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, me and Christian were the best of buddies in school. <laughs> Because he was like the alternative one. And oh, I was, was he back in the yeah, day, was he? I, yeah, and like I was just the the farmer daughter who was really into the weird stuff. And Christian was yeah, like, yeah. you're into the weird stuff too. I <laughs> love that music there. Um, but we, we were really good friends. But that's mad. Yeah. I'm sure I know. I'm sure I know, Chloe. You probably do. You probably do know, definitely know her to see her. I totally know her to yeah, see her. Yeah, picture after this. Yeah, 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 deadly. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool now. Yeah. You'll be my neighbours. Yeah, <laughs> More. We'll know all about it. Yeah, but uh, so did you like the GMIT? I loved it. Yeah, I don't think I was mature enough to see it through. I went back to college at, um, as a mature student when I was thirty, and embraced it and actually got into it properly. But when I was just a mad hair back then, like so, <laughs> never, never. I wasn't just, uh, suited to it back then. I don't think. I wasn't either. I didn't do my last year, and it was really good. I went to. Uh, 
Scotland and I went to Edinburgh or London and I worked for designers and I did it the other way. Yeah. I like. So how did you get into? Yeah. How did you get into? So we worked for like I wanted to work. I, w- I wanted to be a hat designer. So yeah. I wanted to. I saw an exhibition of Philip Tracy's that Isabella is inspired by Isabella Blow and Alexander McQueen. And I went to Scotland for a man and then. I got working with a hat designer okay and she told me she'd teach me stuff but she never did so then i moved to london and worked for noel stewart who's a very contemporary hat designer for okay. six months and then i worked for philip tracy and then i did a course and got like did a year course in millinery yeah and i was a then qualified milliner my lectures at the time told me i wasn't a milliner they told me that I was an accessory designer because okay. I had too much ideas and I had loads of sampling. So my samplings were vast. And then I'd have to hone in on some things. Sampling just for the initiative. Like sampling as in making different ideas and things. Oh, okay. Rather than... A large design. A large, yeah. It was just like loads of samples. Do you know, I suppose it's probably like music. You know, when you loads of different sampling and not m- making one song. Yeah. But then I would have to hone in on some things. But yeah, so I ended up, um, my mother told me if I had to be a master at one thing. So I was like, I'll do what my mother said. Yeah. And they kind of sent me to do the course. They sh- Actually, they helped me. I paid some money, but they did. They kind of kept me off, like out in the straight and narrow. Because yeah. I was a bar woman and a waitress and I was having the crack. Yeah. And I needed focus. And they, when, whenever I caught on to something that I'd like, they'd be like, go on now do that course there you're gonna love that yeah yeah rather than have me just just be a a bar woman for the rest of my life which i could have done and i really liked it um and it would give me a good understanding of people and i think i definitely of hired work probably as well like yeah i think that that in i think it fed into it feeds into my work and how to treat everybody equally and that I definitely think you have a bit more understanding with people if you're working with them all the time with strangers but yeah I ended up then deciding to set up my own company I worked for a guy who was horrible in London in a bar and he was just not nice to the staff and he was doing loads of coke and being really horrible to the girls and I couldn't handle watching that so I quit (laughs) and I was like I can't be dealing with that energy i need to be working for myself where yeah. i'm not in a place of you know debauchery yeah well watching someone else being so horrible to yeah, other yeah, people yeah. and getting you know you're like ah, wait a minute now you're supposed to be the boss so i then set up my brand and i was always really into music i don't think um like even when i'm making a new project or a concept or something like i will research the mu- like new music that i haven't heard before so i'll like I will make it a, have a few albums that I know I kind of like one song from and listen to them. So when I'm making my work, I'm working from like listening to music that I don't recognize. And I think that feeds in. So I'm not thinking. Okay. And then you're just making and then you're subconsciously just thinking about the music. And then the concepts naturally comes in because your mind is so stimulated. So I think I quite find... If I'm listening to music that I've heard before, I'm not as naturally as creative. So you're I associating it with a memory or something, maybe? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I do listen to certain albums and think, oh, I made that collection when I was listening to that yeah, album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, like, I think some of the most important things for me is listening to the radio and listening to new music and also maybe researching like 
loads of different artists and putting on a, like a you know 24 hour playlist that I can listen to when I know I'm doing something really big mm. so like I'd like it doing a little bit of cheeky art so I did hats on all the statues for the fringe like I put like a big hat on Molly Malone and had to go up in a cherry picker so like yeah I kind of get a bit bored about my own work and I'm constantly like, oh, this is a bit boring. So I'm kind of at the moment now where I feel a little bit bored. Um, I'm making a deck of cards. I've done 22. Oh, wow. um, and I'm just trying to figure out what I want to make that's new. Like I'm interested in making some shoes. Um, so I've got the special shoe um, structures and I'm going to try and make a pair of boots for myself. But like I kind of want to do a big exhibition and I'm giving myself this year to breathe. So I've been working since 2014 on my brand. Like I went to China. I did a collaboration with a What is designer. the brand just to get My brand name. is uh, Margaret O'Connor. I'm known for basically doing hats, but also people who know me for a long time know that I like to be a bit of a messer. So I do some other fun conceptual stuff, but that's just for my own enjoyment and yeah. I also quite like making I'm interested in making some conceptual videos or music videos with avant-garde pieces which you'll often see in you know weird music videos they have to mm. have someone who makes that I'm that person <laughs> um, but yeah I suppose uh, this year I'm interested like I want to get inspired and um, I need to get uh, the f juices going again like and what's going to be next like I do want I do hope in the future to have a big exhibition mm. with all of my work but it will have to have music because I had a radio show on DDR for oh, a yeah. year and a half called Working With Music and I loved interviewing people and talking to artists and I fed off that but I was getting inspired by meeting these people you know Yeah. so I don't know I just feel a bit stale but uh, you never know that's why we come to the hedge school Yeah, yeah. you know to take yourself out of your own head and into someone else's creativity and you know like there was a girl um, who was I was chatting to yesterday and she said the first time she came here to the hedge school she didn't sing or she didn't write and she did some course and the next day she wrote something wow. and now she's singing wow. and she was like oh well I'm a prototype of hedge school you know and the likes of people who feel that they're stale this is a good thing to, to yeah, do yeah, yeah. every year Give you know if you're naturally like yeah, kick up the arse and also you have other people to talk about things too and they're also like people are supportive mm. they want you to push boundaries they want you to do something weird they want you to have a wake <laughs> <laughs> and they had like a mad I think they had mass last year and they're very liberal and yeah. it's very un you know they're not, it's not judgmental yeah something really good about it but it's amazing that girl told me that she she's like oh well I'm an example of what happens when you have hedge school yeah, and yeah. young people as well you know I think and older people I think as you get older every few years you kind of get bored don't you you're like oh what am I going to do next because like you were saying that you needed to go back to college yeah yeah because you weren't ready for it when you were younger but like I bet you now you're probably going what can I learn next yeah exactly yeah, yeah what like what you, you did, when did you do you did your course 20 oh Jesus Six years ago. Six so, years ago. Yeah. Now the seven year each. Yeah. Well, that's so. when I started this. <laughs> <laughs> so. Well, that makes sense, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. The same with myself. I did the radio show there for a year and a half. 
and it was every month and you had to like you, you know pre- making it. it was hard yeah yeah but I loved it I got a, it was great for the heart and the soul and you get to meet so many nice people and learn new skills and learn push her yeah. out of your comfort zone yeah because that's what David Bowie says if you're in um, we've got a little David Bowie tattoo oh, wow. there David Bowie was the name of my Hoover <laughs> Ziggy eats dust <laughs> but um, he yeah like he says if you're if you're not uncomfortable and you're in like if you're in water and like you have to be putting yourself in an uncomfortable position because I remember when I was putting the hats on the statues in Dublin for the Fringe Festival I was afraid of heights and I had to go into a cherry picker and measure heads at fucking four o'clock in the morning (laughs) (laughs) with a big measuring tape and the measuring tape would barely get around it completely because the heads were so big and I was putting myself in a position of like I'm uncomfortable Mm. like I did a show in China I only had one month to do how many pieces and then Jakarta no no actually China I did it in two weeks I made something like 30 pieces in two weeks I like was up all night and then Jakarta had a month but like I was putting myself out of my comfort zone I don't know I think it's good to test yourself and also it's good to do things for free as well and not think about money you know because people are so obsessed with like oh what can I get from this and if you make art for just art's sake then you'll end up having a result it might be like I made a collection after I came back from China I got landing sickness so I called it mind in motion it was horrific if you ever got landing sickness it's like vertical it's like being drunk oh god so I didn't get any tablets when I was in China my friends could have been a little bit more understanding they didn't realize how sick I was and then when I came back I was really sick but I made a whole collection inspired by it and then the collection flopped it didn't sell but then the hat that was used was won in a big competition so sometimes you make these things and I think it's good to make albums that fail it's good to make art that fails it's good to be realized oh yeah like there's sometimes too much pressure on artists to be like oh you know they're like oh well it wasn't as good as your last one yeah but that's okay like if we were all so if we were all so perfect you know we'd never get better and I think this place is the place of the vulnerable the broken and there may be you know hedge school is the way you can grow and yeah do that find your spark again yeah light the fire Okay, so uh, now we're joined by um, Osaro. Performance artist, would that be a good way of describing it? Or yes. spoken word artist, or how would you describe what you do? I'm a singer and a spoken word artist, yes. Yeah. I also produce music events that has a mix of live spoken words, performance pieces, and alternative music from Irish and African punk rap genre people who perform them so I did Black Jam which was my main award winning show for Fringe Festival last year the it Dublin was a Fringe was gig. It? Yeah. yeah it was fun it was really fun you did that in Paris as well is that correct? I did yeah. so we were commissioned to do Black Jam in Paris at the Santo Coutrel Irland which is an Irish centre that promotes Irish oh, arts okay. so they promote a lot of Irish writers and musicians Yeah. and I'm very grateful that they commissioned me to come over with my friends who are also in their own bands to come and perform for a French Irish audience it yeah was yeah extremely fun really really good to see how the same genre of music can be performed in a different atmosphere I yeah 
thoroughly enjoyed that kind of feel. And was it like a, a mixture of English and French or? Oui. It was uh, very fun. Yeah. English. A lot of the people there speak English and French anyway, but we were there just to promote ourselves, like our music. So we had musicians such as with me and my band, Seven of Nine. We play sulfuric acid music that's like enters your earlobes in a wanting way. We had as well Alexis who does an amazing AI graphic visual. Oh, wow. It's like eight feet tall. And then they're in the middle in a mask in all red and they perform their electronic sets. And then we had a more in the, at the beginning with my other band, Black Magic Raw, with Ren and Kami, where we have a meditative set that includes a lot of guttural vocal noises. And that just sets us in a trance, which sets people in a trance. It was funny because uh, there was people closing their eyes and they were covering us, surrounding us. And there was one young boy in the audience. He must have been the son of a theatre parent because mm -hmm. he wasn't like, Rah! he just got his box of chicken and chips and went straight to the front in front of us, <laughs> sat down and just was engorged in our storytelling and our guttural sound making while he was munching away on his chips it's probably about 10 years old yeah he was a sound kid sound kid and you're based in Dublin at the moment I am yeah mm -hmm. and um, is there a good scene for kind of like spoken word and that kind of uh, improvisational performances in, in, in Dublin or do you find that you have to kind of come down to places like head school and stuff like that or um, where do you find uh, spaces I loved coming. I would love to come back to Dublin. Sorry, to Dublin again. There is a scene there. There's usually college theatre societies, and they would make events like a spoken word night or a theatre night. Yeah. And through friends, they, I will hear about any upcoming music nights or spoken word events. For example, I'm in a part of a collective called the Pay Attention Collective. We are a poetry group that anybody can join and we just meet up once a week to chat about poems or rant about a poem or the struggle of writing a poem or a story that is just not complete enough and we were commissioned for UNESCO and the Oscar Wilde Museum to make a spooky storytelling night where we were all ghosts reading our own stories that was what? last October it was uh, very fun because we went from you know, being randomers who come together and share stories to eventually, years later, making a small community and being like, let's make our own show and let's bring people on. And yeah, I, I really like those people. They pay attention, lads. And really that's okay. <laughs> and um, how did you get invited down to this weekend then? I got a text from Simon who got a suggestion from Maeve who okay. saw my performance of me veiled in red mesh at an event somewhere in Temple Bar in wintertime where I told the story about the young girl who accidentally married a skull and her eyes were seeing shadows that were no longer there and she was somebody who disobeyed her parents and said no this man is handsome and he is mine he will be mine and he came from nowhere and said girl you and i will be husband and wife but what she doesn't know is that in this realm where the dead lives age 
is something that doesn't correlate with time anymore so by the time she spoiler alerts does see her parents again she still is the same young 20 year old girl but her parents have aged at least 50 years but she only left to hang out with her husband only six months ago so that's actually a bit of the story i'm gonna tell later tonight it's uh, a okay. idiom or oh, ikiom ikiom is a tribe in nigeria and that's your yeah, specific folklore comes from the ikiom people and it's gonna be fun simon i think and i and mave mave is also doing her own spoken word performance tonight so i i love the feel of compared to other commissioned places i've been to which have been really fun in their own way i've never been part i've never been asked to come somewhere and just play with the producers with the crew with the patrons um and just be like let's just see what happens bring your own talent and let's make a new thing fresh out of what is your own personal weapon of choice which in my case is singing or spoken word and then everyone else is bringing like their massive drums and guitar pedals and making a whole psh, i yeah so i can't wait to see how this story of the girl who accidentally married a skull will be elevated with simon's brand of music and with may's uh, spoken word and it's gonna be super fun sounds fantastic <laughs> Thank you. thanks so much for joining us i really Thank appreciate you. it and uh, where can people find your work well, you can email me on friedplantainscollective at gmail.com. There is also my Instagram, friedplantainscollective, all one word. Or my personal Instagram is iobasaro, I-Y-O-B-A-S-A-R-O, iobasaro. Perfect. Check it out. So maybe a bit. Yeah. Thanks for joining me. How is your weekend going so far? Oh, it's great. It's great. I I I had no idea exactly what to expect when I uh, first started working with Hedge School, but it's it's been amazing, and I've I've learned so much, and especially about uh, not having too much hierarchy in a festival. It's been the most collaborative festival I think I've ever been a part of. So, yeah, yeah, it's been great. And you're, would you say you're mainly a spoken word artist? Yeah, at the moment I'm a spoken word artist who has lost my voice. (laughs) So I'm looking for vocal (laughs) trainers. (laughs) Uh, I already naturally have like a raspy voice, but yeah, I am a spoken word artist. I was um, a jazz singer um, for the last two years two and a half years living in Romania um, so I I, uh, I traveled around Europe writing singing playing my own music and then I just love to collaborate with people so I, I formed a little band over there Ooh. and uh, yeah I've got family from Ireland so mm-hmm. I just ended up my uh, voice here. is uh, slowly going as well <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> so how did you so family from Ireland so that's how you ended up here then yeah kind of I mean yeah finding my roots you know but uh and i mean yeah as a child i would have come here in the summers um you know and and sort of yeah fell in love with it really and always knew that i wanted to to spend time here as an adult and now after a pandemic and living in eastern europe and traveling around the world I kind of settled back down here and now I'm pursuing my degree in creative writing at the University of Limerick and you're based in Limerick at the moment as well I am yeah yeah, yeah. how do you find that city 
<laughs> well, I'm originally from Cleveland, Ohio, and there are <laughs> a similar, there's some parallels for sure. Um, I find that it is inspiring and that there's actually a lot of beautiful potential that exists within the city. And I also love the fact that you can't really talk crap about the city unless you're from there. <laughs> so in Cleveland, it's the same thing. Okay, yeah. You know, it's like, I can complain about my town, but you better not, you know? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's a... Yeah, there's... It's a place that I'm I'm interested in staying around and seeing what happens in the art scene. And, you know. yeah, it has so much going for it. I, like, I'm 36 now, and I kind of lived on the border between Clare and Limerick for like the first 10 years of my life. Mm. It had such a bad rap. And mm. like in the last decade or so, there's like so many creative people, and yeah. they've done so much work with the city yeah. that it's just moving forward in such a great way and yeah. when you go down like there's loads of like interesting venues and good restaurants and stuff like that yeah. so it's improved a lot like yeah and i mean if we avoid the places that quote-unquote have a bad rap yeah. what does that do it just suffocates them even more you know um so i've never really been into that idea of like i'll stay over here you stay over there um and you've just seen like this weekend i helped co-write the um, script for the the wake which yeah, was oh, on friday night yeah on friday night so there was um three rappers there coming from limerick um if i'm not mistaken yeah i think they so that was Wilsey. fresh hazy Hayes, and Wilsey. and i mean there's just so much talent and so much storytelling coming out of there yeah. and it's like yeah so it's i'm i love it i love it i'm proud to be living there yeah up Limerick <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> so where did you start with the uh, spoken word was that something that you were doing from a young age or? <clears throat> yeah I mean I talked a lot of shit you know at a young <laughs> age I, uh, <laughs> I was <laughs> always kind of a performer in some ways and I got involved in like a community theater um, in Cleveland and was improvising so I also led an improv workshop while I was here this weekend um so yeah, just um, you know, being a kid and just being a little goofball, and yeah, turning that into ways to transmit stories. Um, and yeah, a lot of my stuff now is mostly focused on some kind of <clears throat> intense topics like underbelly, sort of subculture uh, things that people don't necessarily want to talk about, and keeping a sense of levity with it all, and a bit of humor, and you know, not being afraid to tell stories about addiction or, you know, darker kind of places of life um, with a sort of light heart to it. Because I, like, yeah, growing up in Ohio, like, there was a big um, opioid pandemic there, uh, epidemic, sorry. <laughs> so um, I lost a lot of friends at a young age to that sort of thing. And they would have all been artists as well. Like, yeah that kind of almost like similar to that limerick vibe of like you know the things that they were making came from what they lived through and i feel like i have a bit of a privilege the fact that you know my mom was a very intelligent woman she raised me and my sister and she sort of you know kept a good head on her shoulders yeah so i'm able to tell the stories of a lot of the people that can no longer um, talk about them yeah. so that's what a lot of my spoken word has ended up turning into is things that I've lived through or my friends have lived through and keeping them alive through that yeah wow yeah so, so 
I got a gig on tonight at seven. So. <laughs> <laughs> the, the the workshop was improvising beyond imposter syndrome. That's the correct, yes. correct title. Yeah. Um, Which I had so much imposter syndrome about <laughs> teaching. <laughs> this is way too meta. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But it, it's it's difficult really sometimes isn't it like you know going outside your comfort zone and trying to do something different like you know so you know everybody has imposter syndrome about something like you know what, what am i doing here you exactly. know really like you know yeah. um how did you formulate the workshop like there's a process going into it that you like built was it an idea did you build out from that or what was it yeah um <clears throat> I kind of incorporated I wanted to incorporate writing as well as improv because I know that improv can be kind of full on for some people and they need to sort of you know digest what they're what they're doing um especially there was like neurodivergent people in my class a woman who has autism and she was sort of saying you know this is a big leap for me to do yeah. and so I wanted to sort of like taper it and and pause in the middle and do a writing exercise so we did like very basic improv games and then halfway through we did a writing exercise where I had the people um in the class write from the perspective of a character that they relate to that they feel like lives inside of them and they gave their character a new name and we wrote out these these little brief character descriptions about these people who have a desire to do something but a voice in their head is sort of saying it's not worth it you're not okay, good enough yeah. you're this you're that and so we played with that and then we exchanged the writing and had different people read it out loud so you got to sit there and witness your own insecurities or the things about yourself or some angle of you that you want to work on but you don't feel like you are worthy of it and you listen to another person read that to you um, and then afterwards we played more improv <laughs> and uh, then we dispersed and everybody kept the writing of someone else so the idea was that um, that you would find the person throughout hedge school who had your writing and say hey that was me I was Jim oh, you know okay. I was Jim the guy who wanted to be a basket weaver but you know spent most of my time working in the bars and every time I go to basket weave I weep a little bit because I feel like a phony oh wow so yeah and it's like so yeah I, I suppose the way that I looked at it was like every, when people think about improv and theater they think about confidence and ego and oh you must you must have no insecurities because you can perform and I've heard a lot of people say that to me yeah And I think the main thing is that at some point you actually have to completely stop thinking about yourself in order to create. Like if I'm sitting there practicing guitar and I start thinking about some legends that I know that is amazing at guitar and I'll probably never get to that level. Like yeah. what will what will then happen? I'll put the guitar down, I'll get depressed. And and the whole reason why we create dies when we start to do these comparison things and so i just wanted to sort of bring that up to the surface with people and yeah see see you know luckily with hedge school you can be a bit experimental yeah. you don't have to have this grand resolution of like now you're all great and we're not imposters or we are and we love it instead it's just like let's let this simmer and see what and there was great writing that came out of it my god like uh, yeah and how did you 
get dragged in then to the live performance then with Dahi <laughs> last night was that like a spur of a moment because he was just saying to me this yeah. morning they were like we had a, like an hour and a half to work on it yeah. so it's like some people he'd just met last yeah. night so yeah. how did that work for you yeah um yeah and that's I would just say full disclosure with anybody that gets involved with head school head school is that th- I mean they're they totally respect your boundaries if you don't want to you know, if you're doing a workshop, if you're doing a performance and that's it, that's all you can handle, that's it. But they will approach you and say, hey, we know that you've got experience in theater. We know you are a poet, you know. Uh, We've got a little something, something (laughs) on the side. And so, like, yeah, I definitely kind of said yes a lot, but that's what improvisers do, you know, you just say yes. So I, you know, they needed help with um, the poetry. Uh, We performed soundings, so we read out of the the Leaving Cert book that's very nostalgic mm. for a lot of Irish people. And uh, they they needed some more poets, so I was like, of course I will read Emily Dickinson over a techno beat. <laughs> like, why wouldn't I do that? It was very affecting, actually. I, I think it worked really well. Yeah? Yeah, I think the whole set, because I was here since like 10 o'clock in the morning, and by the time it got to that, I was just like, oh, God, I'm rich. And then it started, I was just like, all right, Another five hours in, you know, you have to <laughs> power through, like, you know, yeah. so I think uh, I think it, it came together fantastically. Yeah, the audience is very responsive as well. I think Ireland being so full of, like, literature and spoken word and storytelling, like, you can, it's a, it's a really good place to introduce um, multiple disciplines of art coming together. Because it, it, it almost, it reminded me of like a late night session at a pub or something, mm. you know, mm, like, mm. okay, music, okay, we've got someone with a poem. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, everybody, yeah. and I looked around at the audience and they were all really intently listening. Mm. And I think that's such a precious thing, you know. Mm. I don't know if that, that goes on exactly everywhere the way it goes on here. I, I, I don't think so. I think <laughs> like you have a very captive audience here and the people are, you know, willing to, you know, shut up. Yeah. and actually listen because yeah. sometimes you go to gigs and even if it's like a massive band or something there's just this ch- constant chatter yeah. in the background and it's just so uh, this place is very special it is yeah I mean yeah I'm delighted I'm delighted I hope I hope to be back next year as just an attendee and just go to all the workshops because that oh my god I mean there's just so many good writers here so many good musicians and yeah later on I'm going to um, an AI panel oh, discussion yes. so yeah i'm i'm delighted to be here yeah graham was on yesterday now talking about it and even listen to him for 20 minutes it kind of boggles your mind about you know the different perspectives yeah. with ai and creative music and stuff like that so i know it'll be a great panel i know thanks so much for joining thank you so me. much enjoy the rest of your weekend yes i will i'm gonna go find my voice <laughs>